Our second interview guest on Everything Thought Leadership is Dave Ulrich. Dave is a University of Michigan business professor on organizational development and leadership. He's received numerous accolades over the years. For example, the number one management guru by Business Week magazine, one of the world's top business thinkers by the Thinkers 50 organization, and a top five leadership coach by Forbes magazine. I look at Dave simply as the guru of human resources, the chief human resource officer's most trusted advisor. Now, Dave's been a professor at Michigan for 40 years. And for the last 22 years, he's been a key cog in the wheel at the consulting firm that he co-founded, the RBL Group. Dave has also written 30 books and more than 200 articles on seemingly every aspect of human resource management. I spoke with Dave in January for about 40 minutes. We talked about his career, why he does what he does, how he does it, and finally, what's next for him. Okay, Dave. You've had a long and illustrious career in consulting on leadership, corporate culture, transformation of the HR function, and, and, and other issues. When you look back at your career, what do you think are the key elements of you know, getting to what I believe is the top of your profession over that time? Well, Bob, first of all, you're very kind to spend some time with me. Uh, I should be interviewing you. You are the thought leader of thought leaders as you've done your book and other work and uh, have such good ideas. But I hope we can make this an interaction so that we learn from each other. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of, if I were picking, we've all been through values clarification exercises. I think we've all been to whatever workshop it does it. I've been through a lot of those because I, and I like the way you started. You're old, Dave, and I think that was a kind way to start it. I have two values that I think drive my thinking. I want to learn. And that's curiosity, inquisitiveness, observing, putting myself in front of stuff that I don't understand. Don't, don't go solve a problem I've solved 50 more times. I don't want to give the same talk. Number two, that will create value for others. For me, the ultimate value of learning is not what I know, but how what I know will help somebody else get better. The ultimate test of a leader. When, and I love simple, simple tests. My, my PhD is in taxonomy, which is the science of simplicity. My simple test of a leader, when you leave an interaction with a leader, do you feel better or worse about yourself? What a simple test. Bob, I've had a dozen interactions with you over the last few months as you've done your book and your work. Every time I leave, I've got ideas. I feel like, wow, that was helpful. I learned something. That's the test. So for me, the two things that drive me, am I learning? I don't want to recycle old news. And is my learning helping somebody else get better? Those are my, don't build on your strengths. That's the Gallup work that is so powerful. Build on your strengths so that they'll strengthen someone else. Use your power to empower others. Anyway, those are my two pillars, Bob. And, and, and they keep me, they try, try to stay fresh, learning that creates value for others. The people at the top of their profession in this thought leadership profession that I've met over the years, you know, you share this hunger for learning of believing there, there is so much more to be learned, even just in the domains in which you've been for years. Oh, yeah. Well, you know this as well as me. I mean, so what does leadership look like? And you go through the command and control, the army, the military, where we created leaders. Now we got a hybrid workforce. So what does leadership look like when you're in one country, I'm in another country, and how do you lead 
in a distributed way. And, and I think the challenge is learning requires putting yourself in new positions to observe. I'll give one example. I think Tom Peters did some great work with Bob Waterman with managing by wandering around. So they looked at Hewlett Packard, and I love behind thought leadership. Hewlett Packard had a headquarters near where Peters lived in Stanford. And so he went to Hewlett Packard. They did managing by wandering around. Well, guess what? You can't do that in a remote workforce. In fact, if you were trying to do managing by wandering around, we're going to turn our camera on your house every you know random, random to see what you're doing. <laughs> That's an invasion of all privacy. So what do you do? What do you do? I've been struggling with that. I think that's a great question. And so I, I love thought leadership where you say, managing by wandering around doesn't work. So what do you do to build informal relationships? I started calling up management by checking in. So one leader I talked to, best practice, she calls her employees once a week for 10 minutes. And it's prohibited to talk about work. How are you doing? What's your hobby? When you get on the phone with someone, the first question is not where you is not what's going on with work. It's what's going on in your life. What's a good news moment? And you check in, formally check in to manage the informal relationship. That's an example. Management by wandering around, great idea. Nobody would disagree with that idea. But it doesn't work today in the way that it may have worked under another time. So how do you think about what's next? That's what I love to do is just take stuff that doesn't work and evolve it, build on it, don't criticize it. Managing by wandering around is a great idea, great idea. And if you can do it, do it. That, that's great. So looking at this decade, do you see the need for big and beneficial ideas in your domain? Do you see, or do you think there are a lot of good ideas already out there, not enough companies apply them? Oh, I... Bob, I would love to get your input on that, and I know your book does that well. What Dave's talking about here is something I mentioned in Chapter 2 of my book, where I discuss the three forces of complexity that have increased the demand for thought leadership. They are customer complexity, digital complexity, and competitive complexity. So if you believe those forces of complexity are going to continue to increase, then the rest of the decade will remain fertile ground for thought leadership. We uh, did a book on, called Organizational Learning Capability. I guarantee nobody's seen it because it didn't sell. Um, but the subtitle was to generate times generalize, which is nice. You generate an idea, you generalize. And here is the key, ideas with impact. I love that term, ideas with impact. It actually got picked up with a leading magazine and they put that on their logo. I have spent a lot of my life with ideas in big neon letters. You know, ideas, 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 and then impact was a small I. Today, I'm thinking I'm willing to go a little lower on the idea I and a little bigger on the small impact idea. Because if a tree falls in the forest and nobody heard it, did it make a sound? If you've got a great idea, but it has no impact, that's going to be a closed loop. It's going to be a cul-de-sac. I'm getting more intrigued than ever with not just the quality of ideas, which have to be good, but the impact of those ideas and how they create value, learning that creates value for others. Uh, let's look at your field and um, people who are professors, consultants, the 25-year-old consultant who is working at one of the big firms or, or a small firm and wants to explore the areas that you, Dave, have been exploring for many years. If they want to be the next Dave Ulrich, 
What would you advise them to do, especially uh, knowing things that you should do and things that you look back and you say, well, this turned out to be a, a, a dead end? What, well, what first, I would tell your them to change, change their goal. Don't become the next Bob. Don't become the next Dave. Become your own identity. Uh, I remember when I started teaching at the University of Michigan, people would say, well, you should be doing this, this, and this when you teach. And I said, then I'll do what you do. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to do what you do. I want to do what I do. And uh, so I hope you'd learn. I hope the next 25-year-old would just say, what's my passion? What's my passion? And you know, it's okay to have different passions. It's okay to say, I want to deliver something. That's a great career. It's okay to say, I want to go create something. What's my passion? What are my strengths? What are my interests? And it goes far back when I was younger. I was on my way to law school. And I was going to be an attorney because that sounded really good. I took a course from a mentor. His name was Bonner Ritchie. Nobody would know Bonner at this point. He's still alive and still is a mentor. And I came into the class and he said, it was a course called organizational behavior before that was a very common term. He said, I don't have anything required. Go look at the organizations where you live, where you work, where you worship, where you play, figure out how they affect your life. Read a novel, write a book, write an article about it. This man captured my imagination. So I was an English major on the way to law school. I read Paradise Lost, Chapter 2, Beelzebub, and I wrote a paper on it. William Foot White, the ideal organizational man, as evidence in Beelzebub. I cheated. I turned it into my English professor, and I turned it into Bonner. My English professor said, that's really weird. Bonner said, that's phenomenal. Do another one. I wrote 15, 10-page papers on books, on movies, and I studied organizations. If I was a 25-year-old, I'd look and say, where's my passion? Where's my interest? What grabs my attention? My wife, who's a very good psychologist, said, Dave, you have OCD, not obsessive compulsive disorder. You have organizational compulsive disorder. I still have it, Bob. I go to a dinner last night at a very nice restaurant, and I'm tempted, and I look at my wife and I say, we've been married now for a long time, and I say, you know, I think we could improve productivity 10% if I could talk to the manager. <laughs> and she said, Dave, calm down, calm down. The manager doesn't need your input. Let's just enjoy the meal. I still, Bob, you do that. You have thought leadership. It's just who you are. And to the 25-year-old, who are you? What is it you're going to do? And, and then pursue that passion. Pursue it and find out what is it I can contribute that builds on my passions, my strengths, my personal journey. I've done that. It hasn't always been easy. It, do it doesn't always result in tenure or great universities. It doesn't always get papers accepted. But it's what drives me to learn that creates value. Let's think of that 25-year-old man or woman who wants to be the next guru on whatever the topic is. And, and they think, oh, there's a lot of money. You know, I could be working at a big consulting firm as a big rainmaker, or I have my own firm and live a lucrative life. If they're not passionate about the, the area in which they want to become seen as an expert, what's wrong with that? How, how will that hamper their pursuit? A guru you know, on that topic. I think passion uh, means you're going to stick with it without the money. I mean, if you want to, I remember teaching MBA students a long time ago. How many want an MBA from a top university? to make more money. They'd raise their hands. I said, you're in the wrong program. If you want to make money, go sell drugs. You know, you get three years off every 10 years, you go to jail, but you're going to get rich. This is not about money. 
it's about the passion for the ideas that will have impact because you're going to fail. Bob, I don't know if you've had any failures in your career. Oh, yeah. uh, I've had more than my share. You know, you try a paper, it doesn't work. You experiment, you test, you prog. Sometimes ideas don't work. I remember one company, uh, quick anecdote, and I'm sorry to do anecdotes, but I, I, I want to teach that 25-year-old man or woman to say, find your passion. What is it you want? And stick with it. And sometimes you're going to fail. I want to have an impact. This company, 50,000-person company, had spent the last six months with a consulting firm that was not a thought leader. They had put together vision, values, goals, objectives, priorities, aspirations. They had a statement with six of those things, 35 words. They put it on a video, and they overnighted it to all 50,000 people the week before I showed up. And they were so proud. Look at this. We have our future. And I said, what do you think happened to those 50,000 overnight packages? How many people said, oh, my goodness, thank you, corporate, manna from heaven. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to read it. I'm going to memorize those 36 words. You know what? You've created concept clutter, and you've created spots. By the way, this is what you've got to have a passion for. Spot, strategic plan on top shelf. You've created spots. And they looked at me and said, that doesn't feel good. And I said, I'm not trying to make you feel good. I'm trying to help you have an impact. My long one-day consulting ended at noon, and they invited me not to come back. And you know what? That felt really bad at the time. But on the other hand, it was the right answer. My colleagues, they invited him to stay. And he said, Dave, you're trying to change too much. Just tell them what they want to hear. And I went, no, that's not who I am. I mean, I told them what I felt was the right answer. And it was a failure on many dimensions. I'm not even sure they paid the fee. But, but it taught me to help clients look at impact, not just ideas. So Bob, I, I would plead with that 25-year-old, do this because you wake up in the morning and go, wow, I saw something that was really cool in the restaurant. I saw something where I'm working. I saw something with a client. I want to really think about that. And then you got to do some rigor. I remember somebody going to a, uh, the same thing you're saying. Somebody said to an IT professor I know, I've got the app that's going to change the world. How do I get my app to change the world? What can you do to get me rich so I'm going to be the next great scientist? And the IT professor looked at this student and said to her or to him, learn how to code. <laughs> and the person said, I don't want to code. I want to create an app that changes the world. You got to build the basics. Theory, research, observation. There is a, the people that are really true thought leaders don't just randomly do it. Uh, you know my camera better than I do. He was a good theorist. He knew how to do research. He knew how to do that cycle and spiral to keep learning. That's what you've got to build. Get the basics under your belt. It helps. Yeah. Yes, he did. He was, he was excellent at that. And he also realized there were no shortcuts to uh, coming up with big ideas. There were there really are no, no shortcuts. Yes, indeed, Michael Hammer. Michael was known as the godfather of the biggest banishment concept of the 1990s, business reengineering. It was a concept that was the talk of boardrooms of big companies everywhere in the world. Automotive manufacturers, pharmaceutical companies, retail and investment banks, chemical companies, you name it. I had the fortunate opportunity of working in a consulting firm at that time, CSC Index, which had a thought leadership research partnership with Mike Hammer. It was my introduction to how thought leadership research should be designed, conducted, and marketed. 
And that kind of leads to this question. What is it you think many people who aspire to be thought leaders in the, and often the big firms that they work for, what do you think they don't understand about what's required to attain that status? I don't know if I'm a thought leader. I sure spend an enormous amount of time. I call them my idea friends. And my wife says, well, I thought I was your best friend. And I said, well, my idea friends, by the way, those idea friends probably wake you up in the morning at 2 a.m. They probably get you up in the morning. They probably don't let you sleep at night. They probably come. I was walking on the beach today trying to think, okay, what does it mean as I talk to Bob about thought leadership? Lots of people have good observations, but they don't have insights. Thought leadership is going from an observation to the rigor of an insight. And I played with that for 30 minutes while I walked this morning. If you're going to be a thought leader, make ideas your friends. That doesn't mean you're socially completely inadequate, which I may be. But, but get those ideas to become almost like holograms at a Disney Pirates of the Caribbean. Just look at that idea, study it, theory. Why does it exist? What's the research? What's the evidence? I'm betting my camera lived with the ideas around re-engineering for a long time before they gelled and, uh, and became the, the tools that he had. He did. In fact, in the last year of his life in 2008, he brought me and a colleague in to help uh, market his firm, Hammer & Company. And his request to us is, was, uh, give us a proposal. I want to be known as Mr. Process, the person who turned the business world upside down by looking at organizations as a series of cross-functional business processes, as opposed to a bunch of silos of marketing, sales, distribution, et cetera. I want to, that's what I want to be known for. We also uh, asked him, um, is there anything else you want to be known for? And he, he, got, he got quite defensive. He said, do you think re-engineering has run its course? Do you, you think you know, operational transformation has run its course? Look at the technology. Again, this is 2008. Look at the technology around us, the internet. Companies haven't, he said, companies haven't begun to tap the potential of today's technology, much less the technology that was going to follow. You know, isn't it sad that people like Mike Cameron, C.K. Prahalad, and Jay Galbraith, and other, you know, really iconic thought leaders aren't alive today? Stephen Jobs. I don't think Stephen Jobs would be doing today what he did in 2010. I don't think Mike Hammer would be doing reengineering. Right. I think C.K., who was one of my mentors, he always pushed what's next. And I hope if you're 25 or if you're a company trying to build thought leadership, don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look back to what you did. Envision forward. Go explore. C.K. Prahalad, like Dave Ulrich, was a University of Michigan business professor. C.K. and Gary Hamill developed some of the most influential management concepts of the 1990s. Perhaps the biggest one was what they called the core competencies of organizations. C.K. also co-authored an influential book called The Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid, it was about how the business world could reduce poverty. Tragically, C.K. died in 2010 at the young age of 68. One of my friends uh, is the head of R&D at Nike, 600 people reporting to him. And he has tons of research budget, clothes, shoes, style, et cetera. Four days a year, he spends a day wandering. I'm in New York City. I get up at five, I go to Central Park, and I wander. I go at seven o'clock to the gym. I go at 10 o'clock here. And he says, those four days are probably some of the most critical for thought leadership. I have no schedule. I have no statistics. I do statistics, but I go observe. I go see. And then I let a filter. 
Now, John Hope, the man I'm talking about, has tons of data. I mean, he has he knows how to code in my stupid metaphor. But but he says, I let my mind wander. And he said, I do that as often as I can. And I encourage the companies who want to be thought leaders, build a culture where that's okay. Go experiment. 3M did it, 20% of your time. Google now took that idea. Go get time to go explore, to try new things, and be, be delighted when something doesn't work. How many times did the light bulb fail for Edison? Those are the passions. And you know, it's not always a fun career because things don't always work out. I've had people say, that's not a very good idea. And, and then 10 years later, the idea catches on. I did a book called Organizational Capability. First book I did with Dale Lake, defining organizations not as hierarchies, but as capabilities. Nobody paid attention. 20 years later, dynamic capabilities is a dominant agenda in economics. Okay, relax. Keep, right. keep pushing, Dave. Keep pushing. That's okay. Uh, how do you do it, Bob? I mean, you've been around thought leaders. You've studied thought leadership. You're the thought leader on thought leaders. What, what advice would you give that 25-year-old? I would say something very similar to what you said about passion, uh, which is what problem in the world do you want to solve? Or at least do you want to play a nice role in addressing? And, and second is don't underestimate the amount of time it's going to take to understand how the companies that are best at solving this issue today, what they're doing. They're often not easy to get into, find out. It's often not easy to find the people in the company who really understand what the magic is internally. And, and often these people are just doing it. No, nobody's put a label on what they're doing. You ask four people who have, have their own views on how they're addressing the issue, and you may get four very different opinions about what's most important. But, but this is the kind of research that needs to be done at a large scale in order to have a chance to shed new and important light on better ways of addressing problems in the world. And that's why I say that. There are no shortcuts to it. I agree. You know, there are no shortcuts. So somebody who says, I want to be a thought leader in six months on this issue, I've never, you know, we don't do much about it. I say, good luck to you. Now, I, I learned from CK and, and others that visuals. Let me give you a visual that I like. It's a diamond. Just start with a question. How do employees work in hybrid organizations? How come two firms in the same industry with the same earnings have different market value? I mean, that led to a whole bunch of thought around intangibles. How come some organizations have a pipeline of leadership and other organizations have iconic individual leaders? So you start with a question. The wide angle of the diamond is the discipline. You've got to go get complexity. What's the previous research? Who studied this? Who's done it? What are best practices? What are benchmarks? What, what's out there? That sometimes does take some rigor, does take exploration then the hardest part of my diamond is the bottom. How do you then turn complexity into simplicity? And what a lot of people want to do is they want to be simplistic. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Well, that's not going to be sustainable. Simplistic answers don't work very well. People have come to me and said, Dave, you need to lose weight. You need to eat less. Wow. Let me write that down. <laughs> you need to exercise more. Whoa, I got two for two. You need to eat healthy food. You're three for three. That's useless. Complexity is critical. In the bottom part of the diamond, we've been seeing a couple of things. One, relax, relax. Progress doesn't require perfection. You don't have to be perfect. Relax. You're going to take your time, have your passion. Two, observe. Just really observe the good practices, the not-so-good practices. 
organize the world. My, my training is in taxonomy, which is the science of order. That's John Hope. What did you see when you were running in Central Park? What were people doing? Get out of your comfort zone. Relax, observe, act agilely. Take a risk. Try something. Again, perfection doesn't require, progression doesn't require perfection. And finally, renew. What did I learn? What worked? What didn't? And keep that cycle. I, I see people getting uptight. They don't want to relax. They don't want to calm down. This isn't going to get solved today. Observe and organize. See the world. What did people not see? Act, adapt with agility, and then finally renew, reinvent. And keep that cycle going. That gets me to the bottom of the pyramid with some solutions that sound simple, but they come on the other side of complexity. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, if you don't take complexity, get to the other side, you're never going to be successful. I think that's where true thought leadership is. It's not simplistic, aspiration, action, nor is it getting lost in their complexity. It's turning that complexity into some daily choices. I think that occurs not just in, in our field in management. I think that occurs in life. How do I build a relationship that works? I'm going to go read 37 books on relationships. Mm, that's really helpful. That's not going to solve it. What do I do to have a relationship with, my, with my, my partner, my children, and those people I love? So my advice to those individuals, get a good question that you have passion about. For me, it's about how do you create organizations that succeed in the marketplace? Get broad and then get focused, bottom of the diamond. Dave, last question. When you think about the issues this decade that you are most interested in studying, writing about, and or consulting, what would those be? Especially issues, say, that when you look back, you say, well, I really haven't looked at these at all, or I didn't do adequate, uh, you know, I didn't pay adequate attention to them. What would you like to be known for this decade that you weren't known for possibly in the last few decades? I think in the last decade, I did a lot of work in different areas like others. I've done work in talent. I did work on people, talent, workforce. How do you engage people? How do you take care of people? I also did a lot of work on organization. People come together as a culture, as a workplace, as a system, as a process, my camera. My work would always say, you got to do both. You got to take care of your people and you got to take care of your organization. Our research showed pretty definitively that organization has more impact on outcomes than people. The war for talent is won with a victory through organization. I've added to that leadership. They come together. Your talent, your organization comes together with leadership. In China, this is a symbol of deep respect. The human resource systems, hiring, paying, training. That's the infrastructure. That's what, that's what sustains a culture. So what I'm intrigued with right now, and I don't know if it's going to be there in three years, when you look at a company, how do you have the right talent, organization, leadership, and HR systems? I'm calling that domain human capability. Human is the people, capability is the organization, leadership, and HR. I would love, for example, in the United States, the SEC required a year ago that you report human capital. So 7,000 companies in 2001 reported human capital. They didn't have a framework. They didn't have a framework. We looked at those reports. Some were 200 words, our people. Oh, you're going to love this, Bob. Our people are our most important asset. <laughs> Others had 2,000 words. Here's our safety protocols. Here's our unionization. Here's all the metrics. I would love to give the world a framework. By the way, I'm going to get emotional about this. 
This is a human capital that should be part of every SEC report, that should be part of every investor discussion, that should be part of a board meeting. You have the right talent, organization, leadership, and HR systems. That's it. Can Dave help create a human capability in organizations so the people are more productive and have better mental health, so that the business strategy happens, so the customers are delighted, so that investors have confidence in intangibles, and our community reputation and social citizenship is increased. Those five, four dimensions, talent, organization, leadership, and HR, they drive outcomes. And that's what we're trying to sort out. I get excited about that. Should be like a balanced scorecard, but for people. Absolutely. Right? The balanced scorecard starts really good. You have the financials, got it. You have the customer, got it. Then you get into that process piece and you go, uh, what's that? Well, it's talent, organization, leadership, and HR. Good, we've now added to what, by the way, I don't disagree. I hope that's a message from my note. I'm not saying Kaplan and Norton were wrong. They were brilliant. It was great work. Let's clarify that third segment. Let's not just have financial results and customer results. Let's have social citizenship results. Let's add to their work. Build on what's done. To me, that's thought evolution and it's thought leadership. And you do that, Bob. And God, is it sad that Mike Cameron and CK and Jay Galbraith are not here today because they would be doing that. I mean, I don't know what they'd be talking about, but each of them would be building on their past and others. Somebody said to me once, some prophets tell people they're going to go to hell if they don't repent. Other prophets tell people what heaven looks like and give them a pathway to get there. I hope thought leaders are not the first one. If you don't do this, you're in trouble. I hope thought leaders are saying, here's what we can create through organizations that win by learning, by being creative. My camera's process, CK power at the bottom of the pyramid. Here's what we can create. Let us discover together how to get there. That's where I hope we can go. And I hope that 25 year old will do something I wouldn't have even conceived of. Yeah. Because she or he is going to take our work. Don't deny our work, build on it. And that's where I hope we go. So, Bob, I got passionate about that. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Dave. Uh, it's been great speaking with you. A pleasure talking to you about these issues. I hope we can talk uh, soon for this video and podcast. Well, I feel better about myself. That's my test. And I hope somebody who listens feels better about themselves. It was a true pleasure talking with Dave Ulrich in January. Before this conversation, Dave was instrumental in helping me develop a chapter of my new book, a chapter about what companies can do to scale up the supply side of thought leadership. Now you can find out more about Dave at his company site, that's rbl.net, and at his LinkedIn profile, where Dave actively posts articles and comments on other people's articles and posts. Thank you all for tuning in to this second episode of Everything Thought Leadership. Our next guest is Bill Shander. Bill is a data viz whiz, an expert on using data visualization to help explain complex thought leadership concepts. Thanks again and hope to see you next time.